Hey, ladies and gentlemen, uh, just a little warning here. There was some sound or distortion issues with my sound uh, for this particular episode, but uh, there was still some great content and we didn't want to scrap the whole thing just because of a little bit of sound issues. But if it causes anybody, uh, anyone consternation, I apologize. I hope you guys can still enjoy this episode and get a lot of value out of the content. So without further ado, please enjoy this episode between me and the one and only Kyle Grundy. Welcome to the Competitive 40K Podcast, brought to you by Vanguard Tactics. It's our mission to help you play, progress, and perform at this incredible game of Warhammer 40K, keeping sportsmanship and fair play at its absolute core. I'm your host, Dave Colmel, a proud member of the Firecast, here to bring you the wisdom and wonder of the greater good. Today, I'm joined by Vanguard Tactics coach, 2021 ITC Best in Fashion winner for the Tau Empire, and I recently learned a rock star drummer. Uh, he is my friend and the Shazo to my Shazui, Mr. Kyle Grundy. Kyle, how's it going? I'm not a bad man yourself. It's a pleasure to be on. Uh, dude, it's great to have you back on. Uh, last time uh, we got to talk, it was, uh, uh, you know, we were doing that round table, but this time it's just going to be you and me one-on-one talking about the thing that you and I love the be- the most, the greater good. Bringing the greater good to all who wants to listen. And anyone who doesn't, I'll shoot you. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Anyone who doesn't want to listen, we'd like to introduce you to our Pulse Rifles. Yeah. So uh, before we get too far into it, though, we got to acknowledge our uh, our sponsor, Siege Studios. Uh, thank you again, Siege, for continuing to sponsor this podcast uh, and Vanguard Tactics as a whole. Um, if you need anything commissioned painted, look no further than Siege Studios. Don't uh, don't forget to check out their work on Instagram also. Uh, and then uh, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that um, uh, enrollment for the next uh, round of the Academy class is going to be opening up. Um, I believe it is next week. Uh, so. If you have not already signed up for the uh, Vanguard Tactics Academy, go online to www.vanguardtactics.com and check it out. Uh, it is well worth the, the information you will get for those uh, 99% of competitive players who don't have the time to play the game full-time. Uh, it is absolutely worth, uh, you know, it's going to bring your game up to speed a little bit so you can feel better when you, when you go to the table, and whether it's an RTT or LVO. So... Uh, and also, speaking of which, LVO tickets just went on sale for the three of you that didn't get the email. Uh, so if you're going to go this year, make sure you uh, j- jump online, get those tickets. They're selling out. And also selling out, Steve is confirmed to be doing, and I think, Kyle, you're going to be, you're looking to come out to LVO this year, right? I've already bought my ticket and ready to rock and roll. Hell yeah. yeah. Outstanding. And I, I think uh, Mike's coming back too. So there's going to be at least three VT coaches there to do another uh, workshop at LVO. Uh, so uh, guys, the they're, they're, we're again doing the uh, standard ticket and the VIP ticket. The VIP tickets are already almost sold out. I'm uh, not sure about the standard tickets, but um, Frontline announced it on Facebook that those tickets are almost sold out already. It's just after one day. So get online and get your tickets for the workshop, too, uh, if you want to get some hands-on uh, practice with uh, Steve and Kyle uh, and uh, Mike. So anyway, uh, also don't forget to like, share, subscribe, leave us a five-star review. Uh, we always appreciate that kind of feedback. Uh, if you want to reach us on social media, you can find Steve on Instagram at, at the Vanguard Tactics. You can find me at, at Infantry Lawyer. Uh, and uh, don't forget to go to YouTube to check out the other Vanguard Tactics uh, stream games and content there. Um, Kyle, I don't follow you on Instagram. Do you have an Instagram account? Uh, I do, uh, yes. Where can people find you at? Basically just my uh, kgrundy86. Um, I'm not a, a huge uh, user of Instagram, but I definitely am on Discord, um, and I use those more than I do Instagram. All right, so find Kyle on Instagram, or more likely on uh, Discord. 
Um, so, uh, because we have a lot to talk about this week, we're going to skip over the rules lawyer segment and just go right into what we're going to hear to talk about, which we're going to talk the, the Tau Codex since uh, Kyle and I didn't get a chance to do uh, an episode on this uh, when the Codex first came out, so we're kind of playing catch-up here. But uh, before we get into the uh, talking about the Codex, I want to talk about, Kyle, your recent 5-1 um, performance at Goonhammer. So uh, tell us about that. It was a, a two-day event? It was a two-day event, and it was uh, last not last weekend, the weekend before, uh, five rounds uh, using the uh, Vanguard Tactics terrain, uh, the, the ones that they do at the Factorum. Um, and yeah, it's a super major with just about, just short of 100 people there. But it was quite a shark fest, if I may say so. A lot of big names. Oh, yeah? Manny Chima, um, David Gaylard, Innes Wilson, Matt Robertson. They're, they're just a few to mention. So definitely, uh, definitely a strong field to contend against. Wow, okay. Uh, and then uh, you went five and one. So uh, what was your first? Uh, your, what was your first uh, match against? So yeah, five and one. My first matchup. I was anxiously looking at pairings, thinking, right, who am I going to get? It was a nice fancy um, tow off uh, to start the weekend. Uh, the gentleman I played was, I believe, uh, his name was Spencer. Yeah, Seb Spencer. He was running um, <laughs> almost like it was there to uh, mock me. He was running Farsight, Farsight Enclaves. And as many of you know, that's the army that I used to run consistently. And I've moved away to go over to Taucept. So it was a little bit like, if I don't win here, then uh, I think I might be going back to Farsight. But yeah, it was Farsight Enclaves. Um, and it was a win for myself at 97 to his 55. But the interesting thing about that game was that he chose Monkar and I chose Kion. And Kion came out stronger. Which, when the Codex first dropped, everybody was like, oh, Kion, that's cute. Monkar, Monkar, Monkar. And yeah. now we've learned, especially after the, the, uh, uh, the FAQ that, that took away the, uh, the additional AP from Monkar, now it's um, Kion, if it, it requires a bit more patient play. I mean, it is the the philosophy of the patient hunter, but it's, you really have to, um, you really have to be patient. You really kind of have to bide your time until that you start getting those exploding sixes and fives and fours late game. Definitely. And I think, um, obviously the FAQ did take the teeth out of, uh, Montcar a little bit in combination with the armor contempt. Kion, um, often than not, you know, I've said many times, Kion, I think there's something there. I think there's, it's definitely strong, but Montcar was just way too powerful at the time. But only until we start using Kion, and I'll go on to one of the secondaries that fit perfectly with it, that you soon realize, actually, it was amazing all of along. It's just that the Montcar with the airbursts and the indirect and all the buffs was just the easier way to play rather than the more tactful, should we say. So, you know, in, in secondaries, decisive action, R&D, and to the last is my three. He chose to the last. Um, he chose engage in all fronts. And he also took R&D as well. So the key there was that his engage on all fronts worked against him because he was feeding me stuff to shoot, whereas I was patiently, like the patient hunter, waiting for turns three, four, and five to do the big push. So I wasn't losing any assets, but he was losing more of his trading units that we talk about in Vanguard Tactics, all about trading up. He was running out of steam. And then turn three, that's when I'm more powerful. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, so round two of Goonhammer, you went up against uh, a, uh, a White Scars list, right? White Scars, yes. Um, and I can't remember the mission, but it was the one 
it was the nine inches away from the center, but then your own kind of quarters. Um, so that was an interesting one. Now, I did go first, and I deployed. I think the interesting thing about, about my deployments with Kion is that I was always deploying to go second and using the example of Kion, which is a Warlord trait. And for those of you who don't know what it does, it allows you to basically redeploy three units if you're in Kion or one if you're in Monkar. So you can then suddenly react to knowing if you're going first and then deploy aggressively. And that can catch people's deployment out. And that's exactly what happened against this White Scars player. Um, unfortunate for me, but fortunate for him, I had a really bad first turn. We're talking really bad. Um, I think I had four targets to kill, which was two units of five infiltrators, a unit of five intercessors, and another unit of five intercessors just to get board presence. Yeah, I killed five with a unit of crisis suits dropping in with four rerolls to hit, uh, reroll to wound with a commander, um, and, and hammerheads. I just fluffed my dice rolls, um, but it didn't really impact the game too much because I was just focusing on the objectives in the late game push at turn three, four, and five. So that was a win for the Tau, and I won 94 again to his 44. Okay. And then round three was against John McGinty, um, and he was playing Necrons, something we don't see a lot of these days. Yeah, so um, Necrons, I didn't quite expect to see Necrons um, on game three. Um, not that that's to say that they're a bad army, they're just not really cutting it versus some of the top meta like Nids, Eldar, and Tau. But nonetheless, I could see the, uh, the list. It had the Silent King, uh, unit of Wraiths, lots of um, units of five Immortals, and uh, two Command Barges, so I could see how the list operated. Um, with the terrain, we were able to quite hide quite most, most of our armor, should I say. So um, it was all about keeping my Hammerhead safe until um, the Silent King came out. Now, he spent three turns hiding behind and obscuring, and then had to push out turn four. And as you can imagine, a couple of plink fire getting rid of the Meneers, and then the Hammerheads made short work of the Silent King himself. So that ended up in a solid 94 win to 48. And let's before we get too far, I, I kind of jumped ahead. because um, mm. I, I already know your list, but people listening don't know your list. So um, talk, just talk to your list real quick so um, people know sure. what you're working with. So basically, it's Taucept, and it consists of two patrols. So the first patrol is um, an Enforcer Commander, and he has the Warlord trait Precision of the Hunter, which grants him full rerolls to hit and wound in both shooting and in combat. He has two Cyclic Iron Blasters, he has a Plasma Rifle, and he also has a Flamer. Now I've given him the Thermoneutronic Projector, which is a special Flamer, which is a prototype. It changes it from UD6 Strength 4 uh, to D6 Strength 4 plus 2, AP 2, 2 damage, um, and it can work in combat as well. He's got a Relic, which allows him to have his Bagel Hunter, so it gives him a, I call it Bagel Hunter, but it's Big L if you want, but it's a 5-up Feel No Pain and plus 1 to his save. So he's currently on a 1-up save 5-up, and he's also minus 1 damage. So he's really, really tanky, and he's got two marker drones with him. Then I've got um, the Big Daddy himself on the Hammerhead, uh, Long Strike, uh, just as he is. No extra upgrades, just two gun drones with him. And then I've got two units of breaches. And then I've got a unit of five crisis suits. This is your typical crisis suit unit you'll see. So two plasma rifles, cyclic iron blaster, shield generator, the four of them. One of them has the same guns, but it has early warning override to grant that unit a free overwatch. And he overwatches on fives. 
Now, the interesting thing about this unit is you'll have a Shaspera team leader, and he's got a prototype called Stim Injectors. That grants that model a four-up feel no pain for the entire of that turn once per game. And then the unit's got four shield drones. So he's the, he's the kind of tank of the unit, could absorb quite a lot of damage and be quite frustrating when you think about drones and being able to pass on. Then I've got a Hammerhead, standard as it is, two gun drones. Uh, two Devilfish, again, standard with two gun drones. Then the second patrol um, has, uh, I forgot to mention the other one, I've got a single unit of four crew hounds. And then in this next patrol, I've got another unit of four crew hounds. And I've got a commander who's an XV8 commander. He is armed with um, a Warlord trait, exemplar of the Monk car. So pick a unit, a crisis core unit, and or any core unit, should I say. And if they're within nine inches of an enemy, you can reroll all wounds. Uh, 12 inches if you're in Monk car, but nine times out of 10, if it's in Khan, it's just nine inches. He's got a cyclic iron blaster, a missile pod, and two plasma rifles. And he's upgraded with iridium armor, granting him a two-up save. He's got a relic, giving him a four-up invun, and he can reduce the first failed save to his damage zero. And he's got two marker drones. So you've got two characters there, quite tanky, quite survivable, and they've got a fair, decent uh, damage output. Then your standard ethereal. He's floating around on a hover drone, and he's got a warlord trait exemplar of the Kion, which is giving me my three or one uh, redeploy, depending on the tactical philosophy that I choose. Uh, no marker drones. Uh, he's got a relic. The Humble Stay, which is uh, an obvious choice. Uh, Litanies go off on 2+, plus and he gets two powers, and that is Wisdom of the Guides, giving me an extra CP. And then the other one is the Sense of Stone for a 5-up, feel no pain for any core unit. So obviously they go on 9 times out of 10, Crisis Team. Then I've got a single unit of 10 Crute, Bare Bones, and then the second unit of 5 Crisis Suits, which are armed differently. Um, two Plasma Rifles, Missile Pod, Target Lock for all five. The reason I do this, just to deal with armor of contempt when they go in cover, so I'm ignoring cover saves. And I've got three marker drones and one shield drone with that unit. Then I've got a unit of four stealth suits, a team leader, um, and two gun drones, and they've got the homing beacon, which allows you to deep strike turn one. And it also, if those of you wondering why I've taken four and two gun drones, it's because it counts as R&D for six, because it's total models. The unit is an infantry uh, unit, but it says total models in the wording of R&D, so you can have R&D automatically go off. And that rounds up the list for 1,999 points. Taucept, a couple of good things about Taucept. You uh, get a free reroll to hit or to wound roll, and you've got access to a stratagem for... Uh, 2 CP for plus 1 to wound against a chosen target for your whole army. Notably, this works brilliantly for the reroll to hit on wound with hammerheads because hammerheads get an innate reroll to hit and with taucept you can then reroll the wound. So you're giving them an efficiency of around about 75%. Nice. So really nice. Got all my tools that I want to do. Tackle log can tackle knights. I can tackle tyranid monsters with the hammerheads. Crisis suits, two crisis suit things. And then I've also got the push for the breaches, the obsec, and the stratagem that allows me to move really quickly. Move 12, get out three, move six, and still shoot, or potentially do actions. So there's a lot of tools in my toolbox, and that's the way that I was trying to design my list. I couldn't tech for just one thing. I had to try with a balanced approach for such an aggressive, evolving meta. Yeah. So why why 
the hammerheads instead of the broadsides because broadsides obviously each shot for their heavy rail rifles is slightly lower damage but you've got two shots versus the one so i was thinking of these single broadsides uh, because obviously since the nerf and they're not core having them in a single uh broadside um you could do that free reroll to hit and wound but there's so much invulnerable saves out there um look at tyranids the uh imperative uh having t8 monsters with a four pin run and 16 wounds on let's say um well 13 wounds on a harpy 15 on a maliceptor i think that invuln can spike and that's what you want to avoid so the hammerheads is just an assurance policy you know it's flat six plus d3 and then more three mortal wounds so on average you're, you're doing 11 damage yeah the worst case scenario you're doing 10 presumably that the monster doesn't have feel no pain so I was finding that I needed something that just punches through an inbound when I want to. Because what you will find with Tau is that with your crisis suits, they are so good at dealing damage with the three damage plasma rifles. But if um, it takes up a lot of shots to combat somebody spiking or even being average on inbounds, you have to put in your commanders, two units of crisis suits, maybe to down a monster, whereas a hammerhead just goes, right, there's 11 damage, and then your other units can do the plink fire. So I needed to have those hammerheads in over the broadsides. Got it. All right. All right. So going back to Goonhammer, then round four um, was the, was the rough one for you, and that was when you went into Manny and his yeah. uh, his Eldari. So um, for those of you, and you can check it out. It's on um, Hellstorm's um, stream. Um, but this one was the typical Eldari: Hail of Doom, Baroth, flying. Um, I'm going to call them flying monkeys, but you know what they are. Um, they just swooping basically hawks. swooping hawks. They jump around, they do some stuff, and it's Hail of Doom, lots of shots, lots of Dire Avengers, uh, a very clever list where it's built in with the to the last. So those units that are zipping around and obviously bikes, it's got all the tools. Um, so this one was an interesting one because I thought to myself, right, there is a one particular way that I can actually make a game of this and potentially win by a couple of points. And it was the one game where monk car was going to be the key to this victory so in my head it was right well the eldar uh, play the hide and go seek game way better than i they've got they can activate in lots of different phases they've got combat they've got psychic they've got movement they've got the shooting so i need to put the pressure at early doors so the way that i deployed i deployed in such a way that if i was going first with monk car i can push my devilfishes up into two ruins with my crisis suits and then occupy the left side of the board and threaten the pieces of terrain to stop the Eldar from just hopping behind terrain all day long. And if he wanted to stay in his own deployment zone, that's absolutely fine by me. So that was the vague plan. Now, Manny's known for rolling, just roll sixes, bro. And unfortunately, he got the first turn. So this put me straight on the back foot. I was like, okay, that plan's not going to work because if I push up, I can't because he's screaming with these pathfinders. Um, and I was like, this is, this is tricky now, but I had factored in going second against Manny. And the way that I did that was using the example of the Kion to pull units into strategic reserve. So what I was trying to do was place my crisis on the board and look like I was going to go that way. So he could have some targets to shoot turn one, but then I just removed the crisis suits and put them into strategic reserve because you cannot put them into uh, deep strike. The reason I didn't put them into deep strike because Eldar have forewarning. So if they're within 12 inches of a farsi, they could just shoot you with Hail of Doom, which is disgusting. 
So I had to do it that way. So I basically pulled a hammerhead off. I pulled a devil fish off and I pulled a unit of five crisis suits off the board and had everything pretty much hidden. And then in my first turn, my Delphish was right, took to in the corner, and then it just went off into strategic reserve for a um, for no CP. It's just an ability that your Delphish have. So the Delphishes have two abilities. If you're in Montcar, they get a pregame move of nine. If they're in Kion, if you're within nine inches of a board edge on turn on the end of your movement in turn one, you can go off into strat reserve. So I had two units of crew hounds, a unit of crew. Ethereal, two commanders, a unit of five crisis, and a hammerhead on the board, but tucked away and hidden. He killed all of my chaff, my crew hounds, my crew, uh, and then I was able to retaliate and then bring all the stuff on when I needed to. And then, obviously, because of the way that the board was so dense and he could hide everything, it ended up just being a whitewash when it came to his turn two and turn three. So, unfortunately, I wasn't able to make a real showing of, of the game, but I was at least showing the power of the deployment, the tactics that you can do with Tau against such a brutal army at the moment. But it would have been very close if I had gone first. It would have been a couple of points in it. Me and Manny were talking afterwards saying, look, it would have going to be really close if you'd have gone first. Sadly, all she wrote, I didn't go first. And the score was, I believe, Manny got 97 and I got 66. No, 90, 97 for Manny and 61 for me. So it was still a respectable loss. Yeah. And I mean, Manny's one of the top players in the world. So, you know, oh, yeah. Here. So losing to Manny is not exactly a, uh, you know, <laughs> it's not, 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 a, not something to, to hang your head in shame about. Um, and then, let's see, round five, uh, you went into uh, Michael Duff's Tyranids. So this is, this is the one I wanted to hear about, which is, hmm. you know, you, you went into a High Fleet Kraken list. It's not the, it's not the Leviathan list that is the, the co- copy and paste, it seems, at the last couple of tournaments. But, uh, how did you feel about Tau going into the Tyranid Challenge? Okay, so I the previous tournament, which was, I believe, it was Birmingham, I went against David Gaylard in round four, and I had my first real Nids experience, and that was Leviathan. And, you know, I learned a lot, took a lot on board, and I thought, okay, fantastic. I've got, and that's why I went away and just tweaked my list slightly and got some tools in there, like I mentioned. I already had the Hammerheads in Birmingham, but I made a few alterations. So I was feeling... A little bit nervous because, again, it wasn't Leviathan. I was like, oh, it's another version of Nids. Okay, so what do I know about Kraken? I'm just going to sum it up and say the quick. And lo and yeah. behold, they were. They have three units of five Raveners. He had um, the Hive Tyrant flying around. Uh, that Hive Tyrant can go 25 inches and then still do the whole um, overrun, consolidate back to his Hive Guard. So it's real quick. So my plan of action was I need to take out his mobility. Um, I'm on a mobile army, but I need to take that pressure off myself. So going first would have definitely helped. Um, I wasn't too worried about going second, but I kind of wanted to get my foot in the door first. That's what happened. So I got first and I managed to redeploy uh, a couple of key units to swivel around to one flank. It was hammer and anvil. Um, and I suppose what did help was a lot of the objectives were out in the open. Um, and I think with talking to Goonhammer, they are going to change a few things like that to make a few of them at least um, slightly hidden within terrain. But I was able to get an angle around the flank to shoot down my a first unit of five Raveners, which, again, was a good turn for me. I thought, brilliant. Kill the unit of five Raveners. I've just got to worry about the other two. Yeah. His, his retaliation, as you can imagine, I tried to screen a little bit just to stop the Raveners getting into my crisis suits, but I did leave a little bit of a gap near a piece of terrain 
He was able to use various things like the shooting uh, unit and then 3D6 charge. So his Ravenous got in, but I did it in such a way that not all of them could touch the crisis suit. So I didn't take too much damage. I took a couple of drones and I think I lost a single crisis suit. And then I just fell back and shot with the XB8 ability. It killed the second unit of five Raveners. Um, turn three, as you can imagine, the game was progressing where he was pushing on one side, I was pushing on the other, and it was just a, a, an army of, you know, just two sides. Kind of circling each other. Circling each other, yeah. Uh, but I was able to, with the way that the piece of terrain was set up in your center of your hammer and anvil deployment, it was like an L-shape. So I got that angle down there, hence why I was able to kill a unit of five Raveners. So it was putting pressure on how much stuff he could hide. Um, tactfully, turn three, I went for his uh, Gargoyles with a Breacher unit in a Delphish. I just yeeted them up the board, killed the unit of 10 Gargoyles because I knew that they were going to be a pain in my backside because of the way that they can recover models, their objectives secured, they can fly off, they can come in. I didn't want any of those shenanigans because I was looking to do the same tactic with my stealth suits to get R&D. So I needed to clear the field to give my stealth suits some room to come in. Now, Michael's a very good player. I've played him before, um, and he's an absolute gent to play against. So we had a real kind of tactical game. We were using the clock, and it was it was just really good overall, and lots of um, swings and misses here and there. And then this is what the Tower Lovers out there are going to really enjoy. So on turn five, this was an absolute bloodbath, guys. Like I had an Enforcer Commander left. I had Long Strike left. I had four Crisis Suits, um, one Ethereal. Um, and I think that was a and the stealth suits. So that was about it. And he had a hive tyrant, one um harpy, and like a single warrior, a uh, swarm lord, and a uh, what are they called uh, the special zone throw malanthrope. Oh yeah. So he came in. He his last turn. He um well my last. I basically moved out and long strike got bead on his hive tyrant because his hive tyrant had gone in to kill the other hammerhead. And at Kion, you get exploding sixes on turn three, fives on turn four, and fours on turn five. So Longstrike just did a casual 22 damage to a Hive Tyrant because he got an exploding four and just went, boom, you're gone. Um, and then the Enforcer Commander that has all of the shots in the world, D6 plus two Flamer, and obviously remember, I'm re-rolling everything, so I just went fishing for fours, got right. something stupid like, you know, 10 or 12 hits out of that. Then his cyclics are doing six shots again, exploding. <laughs> so it was just, it was just insane. This one commander's just brutally just shooting into this harpy. Um, so at the end of the day, took out those two. He just then centered it to kill my stealth suits that did my final R and D and got a couple of primary points just to bump up his scores. So yeah, it was a solid win for me, eighty nine to his sixty six. But the one thing I did forget to mention is against Nids, and we can again talk about this on the next round. Clever Nid players will strat reserve their harpies, um, deep strat their harpies, um, rather than putting them on the board. Because if they don't go first against Tau, those harpies are dead. Right. So he strat reserved them, so I was able to screen out a little bit with fast units like Crute Hounds, and just to make sure I'm pushing them back and trying to keep my hammerheads away from 36 inches from the heavy venom cannons. And on a hammer and anvil board, it's quite easy to do so. So, you know, that, that really played into my favor. And and that's something that I did against David Gaylord at Birmingham, did against Michael Duff, and then obviously I did it again to my next opponent on round six. Who was uh, Gareth? Gareth Chambers. Chambers. 
Now, this was really unfortunate for both of us, and I'll tell you why. So um, me, Gareth, and Mark Cromblehome were um, staying in the same Airbnb. We booked it all together. And Gareth said to him, you know, I think it was the day before, on Thursday before we were traveling down for Friday, said, hey, guys, I've got a set of that terrain, and I've got a mat. Shall I bring it? And we were like, yeah, perfect. <laughs> so me and Gareth played a bit of floor hammer on the Friday night, and we uh, put out our armies and told each other the kind of tricks of the trade of what each other's armies do and how to kind of combat it. So we didn't play each other round one, but we played each other round six. So <laughs> we kind of told each other all the tricks and how to beat it. And then lo and behold, um, that's what happened. So um, his list was slightly different. So he was running Kronos. Now, key benefits. Which is, that's the, that's the more shooty hype uh, fleet, right? Yeah, so they get extra range. And his list consisted of Typical, you know, gargoyles, no raveners, uh, Maliceptor, two harpies, hive tyrant. Uh, he had three biovores, which are the ones that spit out spore mines, which are really good. And we'll get, I'll get on that in a second. Um, and he had three zonthrobes, death leaper, uh, tyrant guard, hive tyrant, with your typical, usual, um, smashy, smashy attacks. And then he had these, um, I can't remember what they're called, the ones with the flamers, the pyrovores, pyrovores. Three units of three pyrovores. Now, their output is disgusting. Um, the flamers suddenly become their long range one at 16 becomes 20 inches or 22, I think. I can't quite remember, but they are basically strength uh, four D6 shots. I think their AP is one or two, but the big shots are damage twos. Now, usually they're only a 12 inch range, but becomes 16. So if they get line of sight on you, they're going to hurt. So yeah. he's strat reserved, and this is the thing that we were talking about on the um, Thursday, on Friday night when we were practicing. He usually just pays all of his CP, pretty much, to strat reserve all three units and two harpies just to have that kind of presence coming in, just to kind of flame you to death. And yeah. then you know use the, use the harpies to do the damage. So he did that. Now, the problem is, again, it was on um, another Hammer and Anvil board, I think. So it was, it was, the last two games were Hammer and Anvil deployment. And that ended up being his downfall. My first turn, and again, I wanted to get first turn. I was lucky enough to be granted first turn again. So my first priority was killing those biovores because the biovores spit out these spore mines that then create a kind of a shield of if you want to go through these, you take mortal wounds. Um, I think they roll on a two to five, it's one mortal wound. On a six, it's D3 per spore mine. And he can choose to explode them. So he would have been placing them in positions where if I want to go on objective, I have to take mortal wounds. If I want to move my crew hounds up to screen, I have to take mortal wounds. So I was worried that that would hem me in and stop me from doing my screening and kind of pushing out. So I decided to go for those turn one. And I managed to just get a line of sight on them with a crisis suits to use a strat of 16 inches uh, movement because it's movement 10 plus 6 inches for an advance and they don't suffer the minus penalty. He had Venom Throbes, but with my XB8 commander, as we know, he just says, you ignore all hit modifiers. Right. So, nuked the Biovores and then did the Fire and Fade stratagem, Strike and Fade stratagem to move back onto the objective and then just weathered the storm. His retaliation... He got a unit of Tyranid Warriors in combat and a Hive Tyrant, but I managed to tank enough on the drone, pass on to another drone nearby, and then do my 5 up feeling no pain, and I was left with two Crisis Suits left, still holding the objective, and then I just moved away, and the rest of my army shot the, the, the threats. And at that point, 
the game was just solidly in my control. All right. So, uh, and that game you, uh, you finished up, uh, yeah, 91 61. So, um, of those six games, this is where we'll start to get into the, 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 the codex itself. Of those six games, how many of those were Kion versus Montcar? Uh, all of them were, uh, Kion. Okay. So that, that says something right there that, you know, Montcar, you know, were, was the easy mode for a while, but now that they've, you know, balance that out. Kalyan is definitely the, it's the better choice if you're planning for it, if you're planning ahead for it. It certainly has an effect on things like if you take an example of the Kalyan or if you're going to be using devilfish of any sort, like you mentioned. Um, it, I, I have started, I, I started after my first tournament when Monka was still good. I just took Monka every time. And mm-hmm. then um, right after that, you know, when the, when the nerf came out, I was like, all right, well, let's just, let's try this Kalyan thing. And, um, I'm with you. I, I like it. I, I like the idea of the exploding sixes and fives and fours. And, um, because I have a, a cadre fire blade in my list, um, there's always at least, you know, once per game, I've got a, a, my strike team that I park, usually park with him that they're putting out double exploding sixes or exploding fives and sixes. And, uh, it, it he, they can put out just a ridiculous amount of fire on something. So, um, Kion is, is, absolutely worthwhile taking though i i i made a mistake the first couple times i did it because i wasn't paying attention to oh it has to be you only get those exploding uh sixes fives and fours if you're shooting at the closest enemy enemy unit yeah so there's there's definitely some fine print you have to pay attention to it's not quite the um hog wild i get to explode all my shots at whatever i want to shoot at you have to lay you have to lay your shooting you have to prioritize what shoots first, then what's ready for the kill. And you can't, I think the other caveat is that you can't do it uh, if you've fallen back um, and it has to be within 12. Yeah. So it's, I, I love Kion, but it's definitely, it's not, it's not, um, it's definitely got some, some terms and conditions you got to make sure you pay attention to. Definitely. Um, so with, uh, Let's just talk real quickly about the the balance data slate. Is indirect fire completely dead for Tau, or is it just something where you you can still use it? You just have to, you know. You can. So there is one way uh, that you can use it to almost full effect, but it's you take a unit of crisis suits with two airburst, target lock, and maybe shield generators if you want. Okay, if you want that extra survivability, you have to have long strike in your list. Um, if you're taking a unit of crisis suits and you start that action by going, well, that action, you start the game by going long strike gives them a free mark light. So it gets around the, um, you know, the minus one, if you will, the minus one ballistic skill. So it gives you plus one to hit. So then they'll be hitting on fours um, and you have shadow sun as well to give them the four rerolls to hit. So they're hitting on fours with full chapter master rerolls. And if you're aggressive enough, you can push them up still and maybe get into a position if you have a cold star as well. See, there's lots of all these caveats that you're taking, all these character slots, the points, um, and then you could do the whole thing of six warlord traits, of sixes to hit, auto wound. But again, you're layering so much just to get that kind of bead on someone that's behind terrain. I do find that I am struggling a little bit against the Eldari without the indirect. But then again, if I took airburst into anything else like Marines in cover or Tyranids, my airburst is not really doing anything to them. So I can tech for Eldar, but I'm going to struggle against the other meta, and they're not doing anything to knights. 
So right. where do you go with it? And I think the thing that I've been playing with is not putting the airburst on unit crisis suits with all those caveats that I just mentioned, just to make it work, potentially putting it on a commander who hits on twos. Yeah, see that, and that's exactly what I was kind of playing with when I was looking at my at revising my list last night. I was just kind of turning around, going, you know, minus one to hit isn't so bad if you're starting off with a two up. Yeah, and then you were, and you don't even need to worry about. I mean, maybe you have a, a marker light one way, shape, or form, or not, but still hitting on threes with a couple of airbursts just to you know thin out somebody like an Eldari squad that's you know that fire and faded back into cover or something. Yeah, it's not bad. I think, I think the trick is, I think the ones that I'm seeing and the one that I've been playing around with is just a cold start with uh, three airbursts um, and he gets target locked for free anyway because he's a cold star. And then you can take a fourth system, whether that's a shield generator or something else. Uh, you could even go four airbursts if you really want, but you, you give him the special dominator frag. So that's strength five, AP two, two, uh, right. one damage, and minus four to the leadership One if you roll a hit. So him is doing an average of 3d6. Two of them are strength four, one of them is strength five. Um, like you said, minus one to hit. So you're hitting on threes and you give him the precision of the hunter. So he's rerolling all hits and all wounds. So that is your little indirect threat to tackle Eldar. Um, but it all boils down to at the moment is what commanders are you taking, which ones are more important. And I really do value the XB8 commander and the enforcer because the obsec for crisis suits from the enforcer and the ignoring all hit modifiers and the fallback and shoot with the XBA is just too valuable for me to pass up on. Yeah, I just started playing around with because I, I like the idea of the, the, the once per game redeploy with the Cold Star. So yeah. I, I used it to good effect the other night in a practice game, but it was, I'm still not, like, I, I'm not sure what I would drop to, to fit a second commander into my list yet. So I'm, I'm still just working with just the one commander, but um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I like that idea of having the, you know, putting the three airbursts on one commander and then especially with the with the cold star, because a he's got the mobility, he can get into position that he wants to to maybe be close enough for Kalyan exploding shots. Um, and then, you know, he's only going to be hitting on three or he's still going to be hitting on threes. But I think there's there's definitely some play there. Um, the, three, uh, the three airbursts and the high output burst cannon. Uh, are, and then you give him the relic for Tau Sept so he could make that additional move if he's charged. That could be quite spicy. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think that's the play with Airburst at the moment. I do think Indirect overall has been uh, massively nerfed and it has hurt Tau more than most, but it forces a much better way to engage with the game, in my opinion. Uh, there was nothing fun about just rocking up with 10 crisis suits, 15 crisis suits, 20 crisis suits, all just moving up with airbursts and just destroying everything on the board. It wasn't fun for the opponent. And at least now we're playing with a bit more skill than just yeah. dice. All right. And then, so let's talk, um, before we get down into the individual units, let's talk, um, I still want to stay kind of at the broader concepts, secondaries. I just started experimenting with aerospace targeting relays. I'm a big fan of decisive action. I haven't played with Clean Victory yet, but Clean Victory seems like it's not worth it. So what are your thoughts on, on, the, on the Codex second right. page? Well, I was quite um, stubborn at the beginning. I was just stuck in my own ways of going, don't need any of the Tau secondaries. I take Stranglehold or Engage. I take To the Last and R&D, because that was my uh, consistent method that I did throughout um, before the new Codex. Like you, when Montcar got nerfed, I went to Kion and I started to look at the codex and I looked at decisive action. 
And decisive action, I mentioned before, fits perfectly with, you know, Kion or even Monkar. The problem Tower faced was that you had, or should I say, the problem that Tower had was that you have all these small assets to push out and get your engage or your stranglehold, but your opponent can then use them to get closer to you with slinging charges. So you were wasting assets. So decisive action is you just forego stranglehold. You forgo going onto three objectives. You forgo pushing out for engage. You keep your assets close to your chest, and then turns three, you get four points. Turns four, you get four points. Turns five, if you get uh, four points as well. All you have to do is hold three objectives. Yeah. Yeah, I like, especially especially on a six-objective map, Yeah, decisive action's way better than, than stranglehold. It is indeed. Um, so that one, I've been taking that every game. So at first, you might be thinking, oh, but you can only score, then if you get your max points, you can only score 94. That's fine. So 94, it's a lot harder to score hundreds. Yeah. And for me, 94 was the new 97. Because <laughs> I wasn't giving away my assets. I was being able to play a little bit more cagey and actually being more tactful with my, some of my choices and decisions. Uh, and it really plays into Kion. And if you do take Monkar, well, guess what? You're going first. Brilliant. Take Monkar. First three turns do the same. So in turns one, two, and three. And that's a nice, easy 12 point. Thank you very much. That's in the bag. Yeah. Um, and so uh, aerospace targeting relays, uh, you know, I'm, I'm uh, experimenting with it a little bit. I, I think it's, it's an easy way to get nine, mm. but getting that 15, getting that last one, because you can't, unless you are absolutely just sacrificing some unit that you're hurling into your opponent's deployment zone to get to their battlefield edge, you know, you can't easily get a stealth team to, to wall of mirrors into that point or anything like that. So it's, it's really difficult to get to that fourth board edge. So it falls in the same category as uh, banners and R&D, doesn't it? Yeah. So here's, here's the thing. Um, I've never taken it. And the reason I've never taken it, and the reason I didn't see the value in it, is because I've already got my um, tactics down when it comes to how to achieve 12 points on R&D. And it can simply be done by a unit of crew and a unit of stealth suits. Um, and the way that I do it is that you imagine your deployment's Dawn of War. You'll have on the right side deployed a unit of crew, stealth suits on the left. So your first turn, if you're not planning to drop your crisis student by homing beacon, you do your R&D with your stealth suits on the left. Then in turn two, your crew do the R&D on the other side and making sure that your stealth suits go off on turn two. Now at this point, turn three, somebody's going to be pushing somewhere. Either they're pushing up to the center to really get a bead on you in the next turn, and then you bring your stealth suits in on the opponent's quarter that is the least protected or has got no units that can severely damage your stealth suits. So your stealth suits do R&D in that quarter, then in turns four, they go off again with Wall of Mirrors and come in on the final quarter. So I've just done R&D four times with two units. Yeah. Or, worst comes, to, worst comes to worst, I do it with a stealth suit, crew, stealth suit, die. Then my crisis suit's late game. If they're alive, can go and do that fourth one. Very rarely have I ever scored eight. I've either scored 12, or if I have scored eight, it's been on my own choice because I didn't want to give away an asset for, let's say, no prisoners or something like that. So right. aerospace targeting, yeah, I can see where they were going with it. But if you're really smart about how you do your R&D, R&D is just better. Yeah, take the easy 12 rather than 
killing yourself to try to get 15 and ending up with nine instead. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and then clean victory the, the is just the, you know, how many units have you killed? Mm. Yeah. It seems like you, I mean, it, it, first off, it's very dependent upon your enemies, your opponent's uh, build. Because yeah. you have to kill so many units per turn, unless they're playing, you know, MSU guard. Like, <laughs> I don't see how, how uh, you know, somebody's going to have four units that you can kill per turn to get 12 or 15 points. And then you might as well just take no prisoners, right? Right. Because you're getting steady points. You're getting steady points throughout the game. Um, so I just think these, and this is no disrespect to the rules writers at all. I just think that because we're in a living, breathing document now where everything's getting changed and the time that it was written and the time that it's evolving, I just think that they were almost there, but they just missed the mark. Um, and I think the decisive action is bang on the money. And it's taken yeah. us a couple of alterations to say, you know, Monkar and Kion for us to realize the power of this secondary. Um, and I think, I know that we can't discuss any kind of future releases, but, you know, I think that one is going to be a staple. The other ones, they just don't cut the mustard unless secondaries evolve and change to something that we're not used to. And then these might come into play. We don't know. And they might get altered. We don't know. And I have great faith in the fact that all these rules are constantly changing. So if something isn't quite up to the cut, then it just takes a little bit of a rewrite to make it worthwhile. Yeah. Yeah. And one other thing to mention is the other thing that I, that I found out after I had, had chosen it in this practice game, uh, that, uh, my wife and I are actually in the middle of right now. It's sitting on pause. The clock's on pause on the table upstairs in our house um, is uh, with aerospace targeting. Realize it doesn't complete until your next command phase, which means you you've got a unit just hanging out in the middle of all God and creation, waiting to get shot off the table before they can, or, or do one of those actions. I mean, most people don't seem to take those units that can turn off actions, but if your opponent does have one of those, they can just walk up and go, Nope, you can stop that right there. Yeah, and I'm and I'm always I'm always a fan of uh, I think a, a very clever play, and it's something that we obviously talk about in the the academy and stuff is always doing things that are in your control, um, so you're minimizing the impact of what your opponent can do to you. You're just getting it done regardless of what they take or what they're doing. And those secondaries, like to the last decisive action and R and D, apart from R and D, give or take, they're all in my control. Yeah. Uh, okay, so let's move on to uh, the Sept's. Um, obviously, you're playing Tau Sept. I've I have only played Borkan so far uh, with this Codex, but you and I have been texting, and you've almost got me sold on switching over to Tau Sept. I think I'm going to do that for my next uh, practice game and possibly for my next uh, event. Um, but are there any of the other Sept's that you think have any other play? Just you know, it's just sort of an off meta, you know, like somebody playing Hydra with with Tyranids at a tournament, and, you know, coming second, something like that. So, um, you know, I, when, when Mike did that, I was like, you know, maybe kind of go back to the codex and go, is there another Sept here that has viability that, that I'm just not seeing at first blush and I'm still not seeing it, but is there anything that you're seeing or, or, or that you think might be another viable option? Obviously I know you're a, you're a huge fan of uh, Farsight yep. and that would be your goat. If you're, if you're going to leave Tau Sept, you'd go back to Farsight, but. Yeah, so I think there is, I think obviously it, it's, I have a lots of things that I'm thinking about, but it's um, prepping for maybe what's to come. But what I would say is that Farsight will definitely play a part coming um, in the future. If you think about having two commanders in one detachment, 
uh, let's theoretically say that maybe we're forced to maybe take a couple of, you know, one detachment um, and stuff like that. I think the two commanders in one would be good. Um, and so Farsight definitely has some play there, especially with um, just overloading with Breaches and Delfish. I think that those that free mark light for being within nine rather than what it used to be with 12 is really powerful. And there's a lot of Tau players out there that obviously, you know, we do talk, we chat, and I see them at tournaments, just to name a few. There's Brian Sepp and there's Will Whitaker uh, that I was uh, talking to at um, Goonhammer. And they we all had different lists. And Brian just finished below me and Will, I think, finished ninth or 10th. Um, so Farsight, Brian was running Farsight. Um, Will was running Tau Sepp, but with a different flavor. Uh, f- flavor. Flamers. Um, and I think that's interesting. So having a crisis suit unit with double flamers, and you run Borkan, right? Yeah, I'm using a crisis unit right now with double flamers. And in Borkan, they're way better because of the extra range. Yeah. So having a unit of, say, three crisis suits, and if your cold star goes, go on, boys, you go eight inches advanced, that's 18 inches, then you've got a 12-inch flamer, but in Borkan, you have a 16-inch flamer with D6 plus two times, let's say, if you have six in the unit, and ignoring cover with target lock. That's her really good into Eldar, and it's really good into kind of any Horde army. It just melts stuff. Yeah. Um, so I think that play in Borkan, if you went heavily with like a couple of units of three uh, crisis suits with double flamer target lock and maybe shield generator and a couple of shield drones just to give them a bit of uh, extra tankiness, I think that's definitely something that people should consider along with your typical um, Borkan Riptide with his iron gun to ignore in buns. So I think that's still a thing. Um, and I can't, and I do, if you ever listen, I do forget his name and apologies, but there's an American player, um, I think it was streamed live, and he was taking a custom set, which I found very interesting. And I had looked at it before, but didn't have the cojones to try it out myself, <laughs> which is, um, I think it's play their part. Um, basically, what it basically does, it gives you counters three models and obsec for your crisis units when you charge. So blocking tactics and play their part. This is really interesting. And I was watching the stream and seeing how he does it. Having three units of six crisis suits just jump around the board and be shooting and charging stuff just to take the primary of your opponent. I love that. There's just something. I I just love that kind of idea of being hyper aggressive, pushing forward, and then being able to go, do you know what? I need to take some primaries off you this turn, so I'm going to charge you. And crisis suits, and then you got two XV8 commanders nearby as well, being able to allow them to fall back and shoot without any penalty. So I think yeah. that's really smart, and I, I do like that. And uh, I know Brian played it at the London Open, and he finished. Uh, I think he finished fourth. Um, so he did tell me it was work. It worked brilliantly. Um, he only lost to Custodes uh, because he made a few mistakes, but he said that it plays like a dream. So I think that's a good one for the custom set, and. There's one other one which I do think would be really, uh, again, quite tricksy. Uh, it is, that's it, it's Sasea. Oh, yeah, that's, and see, that's actually the one that I was trying to like, I was looking at the other night going, is it a, it seems like there's some, some play there, but maybe not, you know, it, the, the, I mean, the, for me, the hang up is the, the Sept Tenet isn't great because I know, I, I never think the dense cover is that beneficial so what what do you think that what am i not seeing what what the way i look at it is the first thing i look at it and hear me out is that 
it falls down to the orbital uplink stratagem, and it's super cheap. So it's one CP, pick a target, everything in your army shooting that ignores cover. The benefits of cover. Right, so that includes minus dense cover and light cover. Yeah. So then if you think about how it can complement your army, so let's take Crytosuits, for example. So we already know you've got a commander that can say, hey, guess what, just ignore all hit modifiers. Then suddenly they can shoot this unit and not even care about your cover save either. Now, that means you don't have to take target lock on your support systems. You can just rely on a stratagem, which means you can then tech for things like Eldar. You could put Velocity Tracker, and so many things have fly in this meta. So suddenly your crisis team could be hitting on threes on, a, on against a harpy um ignoring hit modifiers and you know or just without the hit, ignoring hit modifiers could be hitting on fours so it allows you to free up some of the support systems or may, excuse me or maybe be more defensive and put shield generators on them so i think that's really interesting and then again it can really help out your fire warrior your strike teams or your breaches uh you can have one unit go off and do breach and clear on another unit that's in cover which ignores cover and gets reroll wounds, and then the rest of the breaches shoot the other unit that you've done orbital link on, and they're ignoring cover as well. So I think that in itself really frees up your choices in your lists. Um, and then the dense cover, it, it works on both vehicles as well, so you could have hammerheads at the back of the board. Yeah. And you could have your, and, and your, and your riptides, and then the, the infantry crisis suits can be minus one, therefore you don't have to use the power on ethereal. So you'll get the benefits of having a five-up feeling of pain from Center Stone, and also you count as minus one to hit, so you get best of both worlds. Yeah, that's true. It's with missile pods and plasmas is where I would go with the units of crisis suits in Sasea. So you can stand further and just bomb on anything that comes into line of sight. And the last little trick to it, and this is really spicy, is you take a couple of single piranhas. So you've got a warlord trait that allows you to make anything objective secured. So you could go Piranha, you're now objective secured, and go and whiz over to an objective. I was just, that was actually going to be my next question is, do Piranhas have any play whatsoever? They're cheap. They're a vehicle. Uh, they, they, I'd definitely take a few in Sasea, uh, simply for that, what I've just explained then. Uh, they have a really yeah. uh, cool rule, which I've not tried out yet, but it's the flank harassment or whatever it's called, which allows you just to come on from flanks and stuff. Um, yeah, from any board edge, there's no limit on what board edge you can come in from. So yeah. you could really do some. You could if you like, you could do behind enemy lines as a secondary, and just I just don't know if you would, you know, it if it's gonna last you because at seventy points a pop, then their guns are trash, so they're not gonna <laughs> really kill much of anything. So unless you're playing against someone who maybe is playing Blood Angels and launches their entire army forward at you first turn and leaves nothing in the backfield but an assassin, Steve, um, then, you, you, then you might be able to pull that off. But other than that, I, I don't feel like that's a, that, that's a, that's a very uh, risky play. It's a risky play, and I think the only thing that tactfully I might be thinking of doing with them, if I, let's say, took two, was giving them the fusion because it's just a better fusion. It's, you know, D6 plus two all the time, or D6 plus four when it's in half range. Uh, shove two seeker missiles on it, um, and then you've suddenly got quite a nice little uh, alpha uh, units that can harass stuff that's trying to hide. And then if you wanted to have a cold star and whiz the cold star over and teleporting behind the two piranhas, then, hey, you've got a little bit of a, 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 tr- a trio that can harass a flank. But again, 
boils down to what you said. The points, there's better stuff that you can take. But you never know, might change. But yeah. I like the idea. I think I like the idea of just whizzing one over, being obsec from the um, strategic conqueror or whatever it's called with the warlord trait. I think that's quite nice. And you could even make a riptide objective secured. Now that's no joke. You know, having a, an ob- objective riptide yeah. running up at you. So, yeah. Hi, my uh, storm surge is obsec. <laughs> so I think I think in terms of the sets, uh, the main ones, I think it's still going to be tau sets. Uh, you're still going to see this the same trio. Tau set, Farsight, slash Farsight Allied, and Borkan. I think the custom sets, people are being a bit more daring and trying out these blocking tactics, um, the Counters 3 models. I think that's probably the coolest one that I've seen. And I've seen a lot of um, different variations of different sets and stuff. And I like that one the most. So, But for me, at the moment, I think the Tau set uh, just works beautifully with the list that I've designed. Whether that's my, whether my list evolves and change with the chapter approved coming out, I don't know. But at the moment, I'm kind of firmly in the Tau set uh, with an occasional temptation to go back to uh, my one true love, which is Farsight. Yeah. Uh, all right. So um, Strikes versus Breachers. Um, I know the way you play, you, you, you like, you know, kind of Fish of Fury, at least light, and, and putting the Breachers in Devil Fish and pushing them forward. Um, do you see much value in, in Strike Teams? Um, for any purpose? I think maybe having like the odd one unit at the back just for that extra range and popping the strats on them um, is quite cute. Uh, I just think that with Armour Contempt being so dominant at the moment with Marines uh, and Sisters, obviously, with Jesse winning BAO, um, I just think the Strikes struggle with their innate AP1 because if Marines are in cover, then it's not doing anything. They're, you know, they're going to two up, save, so your Strikes aren't really doing the damage. I think breaches are just better um, and you need that forward push. Now, that's not to say that there isn't a place for strikes. I just think that we talk a lot about sleeper units or things that people are sleeping on. I think going forward, and I said this at the very beginning, where I think the Fire Warrior Horde army could be a really good um, answer to a few metas because the people won't predict it. They'll be expecting loads of crisis suits. And, you know, if crisis suits are going to get the rightful treatment that everything does when it's too powerful and maybe get points increases, then, you know, we're going to look for that volume of fire again. And I think the strikes, if they stay at the same points that they are, 80 points for a unit of 10 doing 20 shots, potentially more when they're getting into that threat range. Then I can see Montcar being uh, used more for that move and advance and still shoot with uh, strikes. So I am tempted just to kind of go, here's 100 fire warriors. And Dark Strider. <laughs> Here's a hundred firewars, Dark Strider, a couple of hammerheads, maybe a unit of crisis suits, and a few uh, dotted characters here and there. I think I'm 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 literally so tempted. I'm so tempted, but I just really don't want to paint another forty firewars. If I'm completely honest. Yes. Yeah. No. I got. I, I'm. I'm still. Uh, that's about the the next thing I have to repaint is uh, all of my fire warriors, and I'm not looking forward to it. Yeah. Uh, all right. Fireside marksman. It's another one that we never see. Um. I. I don't see them. The I mean, obviously, the sniper drones, their guns are even less valuable than a Space Marine Eliminator. I, I don't see them uh, ever having any play. They don't even necessarily, I don't think, have, because they don't have, like, the, the Phobos redeploy shenanigans. Yeah. They're not even really a good unit to pop around the border, hold an objective or anything. So It's a shame, isn't it? Because I think sniper drone models, despite the, obviously, I've got the old metal ones. And- yeah, I still do, too. I've got, like, nine of them. 
I think there's a golden rule like in 40k. If it has sniper before it's like data sheet, it's immediately cool. But then when you look at the rules, you go, oh, right. Wow. Oh, great. Yeah. I say, well, when Mike, when Mike and I uh, reviewed the Tyranid Codex, we, we concluded that the Harris Specs's tongue is the best sniper weapon in the game. <laughs> and you're not wrong. Yeah. It, you know, it, it, it's ridiculous that Eliminators and fire and Sniper Drones, all that they're, they're, you know, you are a sniper. You are an elite shooter. You are going to go out there and you're going to hit 50% of the time unless you have a marker light and then you're going to do a wound. You look at the Vindicator Assassin who like always wounds on twos if it's infantry, but then you got transhuman. I think the guy needs to be better at his job. You know, he's a sniper. Yes. <laughs> I don't care what your genetics is. I should be able to kill you. Headshot. Done. You've seen the, you've seen the scene in Saving Private Ryan every, in the bell house, in the watchtower. Yes. Everybody thinks of that when you think of a sniper. But in reality, it's a guy who can't hit for anything. <laughs> it's just like, oh. Exactly. Then, yeah, or it's the, uh, or it's the guy who uh, was Bill Paxton's character in the Navy SEALs movie from the early 90s. God, God, and he's got that big 50 caliber sniper rifle and he's just shooting yeah. guys through the wall with yeah. his thermal scope. And in reality, it's a plink. Yeah, it's I like put a... two wounds on a Adeptus on a, on a, uh, Sororitas hospital this turn and that's all they're done and now they will be meleeed to death. Because the thing is with sniper drones, there was, I think, back in, I think in the old codex, there was one little play that we could do, which is kind of cute, but you could do the Sasea uh, orbital bombardment thing with the marker lights, uh, like a little flare it was called. And then it would target everything within six inches of that point. So if they had characters, you could get these sniper drones hitting on threes, re-rolling ones, um, and you could kind of do some a little bit of damage here and there. But now they just they just meh. They don't do anything. And I really want them to to be good, but um, I don't know if they go down to five points a model, maybe maybe, maybe I'll take some. But apart from right. that, no, nah, yeah, no, nah, they're, they're just not worth it. Yeah. Um... Do you have any other units that you can think of that are sort of, uh, you know, uh, hidden gems or unsung heroes at this point that, you know, maybe they aren't top of the meta right now, but could be in the future? Ghost Kills, I reckon. I, I still think Ghost Kills are cool. Uh, they're a gorgeous model. And I think with um, points, uh, I think they're about right in cost, maybe a little bit of reduction. I don't know. But I think Ghost Kills definitely have some tactical play. Being able to sit on a back of backfield and protect characters and just not be targeted, I think that's. I think I know Jack, who's part of the Vanguard, you took three of them and did quite well. At a, a major, he went four and one. He was running three ghost skills, so an unoptimal list. So they definitely have some play, but I think for me, I think the Riptide is going to come back. I think. And obviously, we don't know what's going to happen um, with Chapter Three, but I, I, I have a gut feeling that the Riptide is going to come back in terms of the ability just to bully, to fire and fade, or potentially, you know, you could overcharge your gun and then use the stratagem to uh, jump, shoot, jump. Um, so I think Riptides haven't seen much play because Crisis Suits are just so good at the job and kind of undercosted. Um, whereas if they do go up in line um, with what they should be then I think Riptides are going to be a valuable pick. Um, yeah. Everything else, I think everything else in the tablet, I think it's a really balanced codex, to be honest. I think there's, there's not really bad units. It's just that there's more optimal picks. Um, so right. I think when things get balanced, I think you'll have more flavor. Um, and I, 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 think, I think maybe units are 10 best, but you know. Uh, you know, uh, right when the codex came out, everybody was talking about, oh, Vespid, 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 or the, they're the... They're the, the key to R&D for, for the Codex, but then I haven't been seeing him in anybody's lists lately. I think maybe because everybody decided the cell suits are better, but 
for doing the same thing, but yeah, I mean, I, I mean, Brian still take Brian still took one unit just to kind of take the pressure off for R and D. But they are really cool. They're, they're, they're fast. They're movement fourteen. They're infantry. They got a four up save. They're toughness four, and the guns are ridiculous. Yeah, the guns are great. Strength five, AP three. Yeah, they just need a new model. They just need. They just need a new model. Yeah, need a new model. Um, the, and then the other thing I gotta say, the the one thing I was a in, in eighth edition, I was a big fan of my Sun Shark bomber. Mm. Just it wasn't ever gonna win anything for me, but it was just fun to. Our flyers are trash now. Our aircraft are garbage. What the heck happened? I think the, that this the Razor Shark is like the worst ground attack aircraft in the history of military anything use of use of aircraft yeah yeah it's trash and it's so annoying it, se- it seems like the le- and also it's quite funny when you look at the actual way that the uh tau um like uh data sheets are written in the book it's always like one of the last couple ones that they just seem like they've just given up and gone meh <laughs> and then they've gone no come on come on guys keep up with the rules you're doing really well let's go and they've gone okay okay let's make the storm surge amazingly cheap <laughs> and then and then Finn. <laughs> no, sh- sh- we don't want a points increase on Storm Surge. Oh, I mean they're absolutely point. They're perfect. They do exactly what they need to for the points. Yeah, yeah. They don't, don't, don't. I think I think the flyers, the flyers, and um, the yeah, the flyers are trash. Um, the fire sight marksmen and the sniper drones are trash. Um, even though I did say that everything is quite good in the book, yeah, actually I take that back. There is a few things that are trash, um, but. But very few. Very few. And then unfortunately, the Skyray got unjustly nerfed because of indirect. That wasn't doing yeah. anything to anybody. And then it's like, you see that strat? No. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, yeah. And I was, I, cause I, and I had taken my Skyray to a couple of events and I was actually doing reasonably well with it. And I was just loving being able to put a Skyray on the table again after multiple editions of it turning it into stuff. a hammerhead. Yeah. <laughs> right. And then, you know, and then all of a sudden, I was like, oh, okay, this is it. Sky rays are back. Indirect fire, balance data slate. Well, well, all right. Well, well, yeah. Back on the shelf you go. It was- time, time to take off the, uh, the, the missile turret at the top and put a railgun yep. on it. <laughs> yep, you had your time in the sun there, uh, buddy. You're, you're, you're back on the shelf. So let's swap, yep, swap out turrets. Here we go. Um, so, all right. Uh, is there anything else I was going to ask you about or, or get your... Uh, oh, uh, how much are you missing the free marker light uh, stratagems from Psychic Awakening? <laughs> uh, yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot I miss from the Psychic Awakening, and that's one of them. Um, the main thing that I miss um, is the uh, ability to play in the combat phase with the strats. They took all the flavor right from Far Side Away. They took away the strat where you could do mortal wounds on three pluses uh, on the in the charge phase. And I couldn't really get my head around why they took it away because there's so much mortal wound output in the game now. Take take the Malice Scepter, for example, when it first came out. It's like there was no reason to take away that strap from Farsight Enclaves. Then you took away the Fusion Blades. And we could go on and on and on. Maybe there is a future release of it. We can all cross our fingers and hope there's an Army of Renown coming back. Who knows? Maybe they've done it right. just to teasers. But they took away a lot of the farsight flavor and that's why i suppose why i've stopped taking farsight because i could I, I got a bit bitter i got a bit salty about it um <laughs> but yeah yeah that that free marker light and then um i agree on a couple of things that went like you know unit and nine crisis suits with four rerolls to wound uh yes please <laughs> um but you know 
they, they, they got rid of that, which is I can understand. But the other stuff, I do miss. What about you? Uh, I think uh, I miss. Actually, I miss the I miss the the free market lights. Uh, the the uh, what was it? The aerospace or the satellite targeting relay, whatever it was. I miss those free market lights. Obviously, they would skew horribly under with the way market lights work now. But I miss those. I miss the one the stratagem that you could heal a vehicle or a battlesuit for D three wounds. Yeah, that, that was every once in a while. You would just get in a position where, oh god, this you know my my hammerhead's about to die or my riptide's about to die. I just need to just juice him, just give him a little bump, just to keep him around one more turn. And those D three wounds could you know help that you know help put you in a position to keep that that one model around a little longer. So I kind of miss that. Um, I think those are the big ones. I I think that they did a pretty good job of taking a lot of the relic and prototype weapons that they had in Psychic Awakening and sort of converting them to ninth edition with like mm. the rail guns and all that kind of stuff by and large i think they did they did a reasonable amount of, of transfer but as far as strats yeah i just miss i miss the free marker lights and i miss the uh um uh, i miss being able to just heal up a vehicle i miss the one where the i think it was called firestorm uh which is the one where your, your flyers go over so basically two single remoras <laughs> And then you could do the mortal oh, right. wounds within the three inches of each remora or each flyer for D three mortal wounds on a four plus. I missed that because that was quite cool. Because our orbital bombardment is still trash. <laughs> it's yeah. still trash. How did we get a worse orbital bombardment than space marines have? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Like at least space marines, you can put down the mark on the middle of an objective and uh, in the middle of a primary in the backfield. And go, all right, go ahead. You can crowd guys onto that, but you're going to take mortal wounds next turn. Or no, you're going to clear off of it? Good choice. Now I've denied you primary for a turn. Ours, so, ours is two guys just stay two inches away from each other. So they just basically step aside to each other and go, oof, right. phew, we missed yeah. that very tiny laser. <laughs> yes, this, this very, very thin laser just dot, just went right between us. Woo, we, it's a good thing we, we somehow like psychically uh, knew that was coming and dodged it. Thank you, Emperor, or whatever. Yeah, that's it. Almost like yeah, a laser pen that you're playing with a cat with. It's just like a little red dot goes, and they're like, "Oh, let's move out the way." Oh, phew. or it's like those old Bond movies where he's tied to a chair and there's a laser going up. And the only difference is, if we were to make it 40k related, they're not tied down; they can just move. So it's like a really right. bad, a really bad villain who's just gone, "Just stay there, don't move, and let me hurt you." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All right, uh, dude. I think we've covered it. Um... I uh, I do yet again encourage you when you're uh, playing to to dude you got to bust out the the tidewall shield line. The most of the, most of the tidewall fortifications are a bit overcosted, but the 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 shield line, the one that actually has the five up invuln, dude, I'm having such great success with it. You got to try it out. It's it's it, because it's a nice cheap transport. It's not going to give you the speed of a of a devilfish, mm. but it's with that five up invuln that's had some it it it, it tanked um three chaos knights attacks. Um, again, in a practice game a couple weeks ago, I had two of the two of the um, what are the 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 ones with the auto cannons at the back of the board shot at it, and then one came up and meleeed it and and barely killed it. But it took all of that to kill the tidewall. And then what happened? My breacher spilled out and went hi, lock and load. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like, how many points? Is it like eighty points or something? Yeah, it's eighty points. It's very cheap for a, for a, for a transport that's open top that you can shoot out of. Well, I've not got one. I, I creep it forward. I park it on a backfield objective, and anybody that tries to come take it off me gets shot a lot from the breachers inside. So let me get this so, right. To move it, 
it's an action, right? But obviously, if you have an ethereal, you could just go do an action and still shoot. Well, no, because because, because it's a, it's a weird rule because the the rule says the people inside of it do the action, the the embarked unit inside does the action, but then they're still technically embarked, so they're not technically on the board. So you can't target them with anything like um, the ethereal. But the action the, the action starts they start the action at the beginning of the movement phase and the action ends at the end of the movement phase. Ah, right. So I see. You can still move it and shoot it. So you do the the, the unit inside declares the action, which they're embarked, they're not gonna do anything else anyway, mm. unless they're gonna, you know, hop out. So it's just a clever way of stopping them from trying to do a, a move and disembark or something. So they do the action, they move the, the and it flies, so it moves forward, hops over whatever, a little bit of terrain or whatever lands on an objective and then they sit there and pull security or <laughs> if you need to they jump out and obsect the point they're sitting on just like you would with any other transport so i i it's you know it's t7 t6 instead of t7 it's only 10 wounds so it's not but that five of involved just seems to come in clutch for me so anyway uh i think i i, I continue to 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 preach the the good word of the tidewall shield line so at least as long as they don't nerf that. You like the, you like you like you like uh, Leon, the Leonidas version of uh, three hundred, but for Tau, <laughs> the sh- shield wall. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, all right, Kyle. Thank you again for taking the time out of your day to to do this episode. I was looking forward to doing this with you for a while. Um, we'll have to definitely do this again um, whenever that new uh, the new GT book comes out and gets updated because we know that's coming uh, at some point. And then it, that if they do. If, you know, the rumors are flying that they're going to have all the secondaries in there and they might overhaul some secondaries. So if that happens, you and I are definitely going to have some conversations. Absolutely. So, uh, anyway, uh, this week uh, hopefully should be, a, should be a treat for everyone. Uh, the plan is to do is to release two episodes this week. Um, uh, obviously, this one with, with uh, Kyle and I. And then uh, in a day or two, Steve and I are going to come back and record that second half of the Imperial Knights Codex that we've been promising you for what seems like two months. Uh, and then uh, after that um, we're going to come back and, and get into Chaos Knights finally so uh, anyway uh, thanks everybody for, for listening to this one thanks again for Kyle uh, to, uh, to come out and record this one with me and uh, so until next week or until the next episode drops this is Dave Calmel for Vanguard Tactics saying you can have my sick like Iron Blaster when you cry it for my cold dead battle suit have a good <laughs> week guys